Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, I am having a really interesting conversation with Emma Turner, author and research and CPD lead about her book, Let's Talk About Flex, and considering all things flexible working. Really interesting, I was just reflecting that in November 2019, I recorded a podcast with Anna Trithui about the work that she'd been doing on flexible working in schools. And things like working from home really seemed to be pushing the envelope a little bit at that point. Um, so in the conversation with Emma, we talk a lot about the pandemic and actually the potential catalyst for change there, given that actually there's no reason why we can't really think differently about all aspects of what goes on in schools and how best to deliver it. Emma is so enthusiastic about this topic and full of creative and exciting ideas about flexible working for everyone. This isn't just a woman's issue um, and understanding that it can be part of somebody's career to work flexibly and can flex up as well as down, all sorts of things like that really and how to think positively about the contribution you make at school when you are working and not just apologise and saying things like, I only work part-time. So it's a great listen and I hope you enjoy it. As ever, I'd like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Today, I am joined by Emma Turner, who is a research and CPD lead at a multi-academy trust in the East Midlands, and also author of Let's Talk About Flex, which we're going to be discussing today, and Be More Toddler. Hi, Emma. Hello, Caroline. Thank you for having me. It's great. It's great to have you on. And um, I really enjoyed uh, Be More Toddler, especially reading it while having my own um, small person with strong opinions uh, (laughs) as a point of reference during that book. Um, But today we're going to talk about, let's talk about flex and uh, flexible working. But before we get into that, can you tell me a little bit about about yourself and your kind of career history and uh, your your role now and, and about you. Okay, yeah, sure. I've um, well, I've been in primary education now for twenty three years, which is um, I'm going to have to stop pretending that I'm thirty five <laughs> fairly soon. You can easily <laughs> pass for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good lighting. Um, now I've been um, been in primary education for twenty three years. I um, have worked in multiple schools across Leicestershire. I've been a national strategy consultant for the numeracy strategy been assistant head deputy head and then was one half of one of the UK's first all-female co-headships back in 2009 10-ish which ran for um just under nine years and during which time between the two of us we also had five babies in five years in headship (laughs) it was a special chair you didn't sit on (laughs) Um, and after that, after being in co-headship for all of those years, I've moved out of headship and I now work for Multi-Academy Trust, Discovery Trust, um, based predominantly in Leicestershire and Leicester City. 
and I do all of their research and CPD delivery right through from working on all skits all the way through to kind of leadership development. So very varied role, very interesting role and a flexible role because I work, work part time. Fantastic uh, stuff. And yeah, I, I really like the way you said um, all, all female co-headship. It, 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 made, it just made me think of girl group. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was like the really bad, very small Spice Girls. <laughs> um, so I think, and, and as you say, you, you work flexibly now. Now, I think the, the first thing I want to un, unpick with you really is um, what, do we, what do we mean by flexible working? And how is it uh, different from, from sort of being part-time? Because I think a lot of people would say, is that not just part-time working? Okay. Um, i just going to start with one sentence, which I always say whenever I talk about flexible working. I mean, I've got children who are 10, 7 and 4. So I always start off with any of these conversations with, I'm a mother of three small children and I work flexibly. Now, the trouble with that is most people hear that sentence and don't hear, and I work flexibly, they hear, so I work flexibly. Mm. Um, and so the first thing when we're thinking about flexible working is actually, it, we need to stop thinking about it as a reactive decision, but actually a proactive choice. So when we're talking about flexible working within education, first of all, we need to kind of check ourselves and think, you know, what's my bias towards flexible working? Is it I'm just thinking about it for a, a particular demographic, a particular stage of life, a particular gender, a particular age group? Um, because flexible working is so much more than um, the kind of default view of it, that it's part time working for people who have a caring responsibility. So First of all, flexible working is not a reactive, reactive decision to a life situation. It should be seen as a proactive choice for people. Um, because I could go back to work full time now. I don't. I work flexibly in a completely different setup, but that is a very different way of viewing flexible working. Flexible working is proactive choice, not flexible working as reactive decision. Once we kind of get over that and we start thinking about what is flexible working, now, if you look in the DFE, the Department for Education guidance, they outline five main bits of flexible working. Part-time, job share, compressed hours, staggered hours, and working from home. Now, part-time and job share often get lumped in together, but they are two completely different things. And if you're gonna start thinking innovatively about flexible working, you need to pull those two away from each other. Um, Part-time work is a job of work that needs doing in an organisation that adds up to less than or fewer than full-time hours. A job share is different in that it is a full-time role with full-time hours shared between two or more people. Now, the reason I say you've got to tease those two apart is because actually we can start to really innovate the workforce by actually thinking what work needs doing, mm. what work actually needs to be done. Um, then assigning the hours to that body of work and then thinking, could we offer this as a part-time role for somebody, which is what my role is. I work part-time for my trust doing a body of research and CPD work that needs doing. So part-time and job share are two options within um, flexible working. You've then got staggered hours, which is fairly straightforward. You come in later, you leave later. 
Compressed hours are where you do a certain number of set hours, but squished into a fewer number of days. And then you've got working from home, which very amusingly, if you look at the DFE guidance, basically says, oh no, working from home can't really work within education, blah, 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 because the document was written pre-pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very much a kind of, uh, it makes me smile now when I look at it, obviously not smiling because we're in a pandemic, but mm. smiling because of how much progress has been made in terms of people's thinking around what can actually be achieved at home in a work from home setup. So they're the five like DFE examples of, of flexible working however if you follow mandy coulter Indeed. who is yeah, kind yeah. of the guru of all things flex and all things education hr she has a model where she talks about how much when and where so flexible working is how much you work when you work and where you work which fits very neatly mm. and mandy's um works it's very neatly alongside the dfe's guidance because actually within a full-time role you can still work flexibly because you may work full-time but have staggered hours you may work equivalent of full-time hours but have those hours compressed you may have full-time work but for part of the week you're unable to work from home mm. so again the default setting around flexible working needs to shift from thinking about flexible working in such a narrow view that we just think it's part-time or job share it is huge and flexible working is for those workers who work fewer than full-time hours and for those workers who work full-time hours as well. So when we're defining flexible working, we need to be really clear as leaders, as teachers, as organisations about all of the myriad possibilities that come under that umbrella of flex, not just thinking, oh yeah, I know about flexible working, it's when you do a 0.6.4 job share in a class, that it's so much bigger than that so <laughs> yeah, that's your different yeah. types of arrangements for flexible working I really like what you said there about actually you know it's it's available to people who work full time as well because then we start to have a conversation about how everybody can work flexibly and not just certain groups of people yeah and um I wonder also um as somebody who has um, a slight outsider's perspective at times on education um <laughs> Is part of the problem the the fact that you know um, as as somebody you know teaching you kind of have your your contact time and your responsibilities within the school setting and that kind of physical building uh, you know and traditionally and then people do spend time preparing and marking etc from home you know we can have a separate conversation about whether they should be or whatever but is is that part of the thing that makes it quite difficult for for somebody to then throw in top on top of that and this is how I'm going to work flexibly if everyone says well yeah well I'm doing my marking in the evening as well if you say you're working late and that's your staggered day what kind of things can can arise there the the, the thing is with flexible working is it's a bit like well-being in that one size doesn't fit all so every flexible working arrangement should be bespoke and I talk a lot about not having rigid flexibility where you say this is how we do flex here you know this is this is how we do it well actually a flexible working arrangement um, a flexible working agreement 
is between the employer and the employee about these are the skills, the expertise and the time I can offer this organization. And the organization will say, these are the needs of the organization. Let's make a blend that fits. So each flexible working approach, although it will work within kind of broader umbrella um, aspects of employment law and HR, actually the, the day-to-day arrangements of it need to be bespoke. Um, and it's yes, there are aspects of a teacher's work that can be done remotely, can be done from home, you know, and I think gone are the days, thank goodness, of head teachers now, especially post pandemic, insisting that everybody has to be in that meeting, in that room every week, sat around the tired plate of biscuits in a freezing drafty classroom in the dark. You know, there are opportunities now for people to dial in, for people to um, access things remotely, for people to watch things on a catch up, for things to be recorded. I think that the, the, the pandemic has offered so many more, it's shone so many lights on possibilities for how we could really harness flexible working within education. Because historically, the infrastructure and the, the organisational structures that we've got within education were so deeply ingrained that nobody dared challenge them. And what the pandemic has done is it has thrown everything up in the air um, and said basically there is no aspect of our work, no aspect of assessment, of examinations, of um, delivery, of um, parents' evenings, you know, communication. There's no aspect that we can't explore doing in a different way. So it's done they done the system a service in a way by shining that light on, on of, of possibility on there. We've also got to recognize as a system that we are massively lagging behind the wider world of work. So if we look at the statistics from the DFE, 8.6% of men work flexibly in education compared to 13% in the wider world of work. Now that's kind of quite big a difference as it is. Then you look at women, 26.4% of the workforce work flexibly, you know, female uh, workforce work flexibly in education, compared to 42% outside the world of work. Education has got a massive way to go in terms of offering the range of opportunities for working patterns to mirror what people could get outside of education. And then you wonder why education isn't necessarily a particularly attractive proposition for a lot of people. It's not that they don't want to teach, they don't want to work with young people, but there are so many limited options for them in terms of how they could work, that actually the offers that are in the wider world of work are far more doable for a lot of families, a lot of individuals than education can offer. And I think if we want to attract the best, we've got to offer the biggest range of opportunities for people to progress and to work and to contribute. And it, it is interesting because um, it's something we, we talked about with um, Emma Shepherd uh, a bit, the founder of the Maternity CPD project, that there's this sort of inherent um, contradiction that, you know, some people think uh, because of the, you know, the school holidays and this kind of thing, teaching is a really family friendly profession. And obviously people who like children and like working with children are likely to want to have their own. But that's really interesting what you're saying there in terms of like the actual number of people that, that, that that access some kind of flexibility is that much below um, mm. other other professions and sectors. And that's aligned with the biggest demographic to leave teaching after mm. retirees is women between the ages of 31 and 40. Now, it, that kind of, it may well be that that's because they have 
um, parenting um, commitments or caring commitments. But I, I think if you take the fact that they're women out of there and actually look at that um, kind of with some kind of analysis, what you're actually losing there is expertise. Because if women, if that demographic is 31 to 40, that is the group of people who've been in the profession a long time. So they are your potential future leaders are the people who know your systems, your organisations who can, you know, cope with an unruly class on a wet Thursday afternoon in November or can do an assembly at the drop of a hat or can deal with a really complex child protection matter. You know, these are our skilled practitioners and we're just letting them walk away. And I'm not saying that flexible working is the silver bullet that will solve all of the problems, but I'm fairly sure that if there were a wider range of opportunities on offer for not just that demographic demographic of women between the ages of 31 and 40 but if we throw the cast the net a little wider in terms of what we offer in terms of flexible working we are going to get a much more diverse workforce as well and i, and I talk a lot about the privilege of full-time working and people look at me absolutely gone out like what do you mean working full-time is a privilege i thought part-time's the privilege and actually when you analyze being able to work full-time means that you have the you've got enough money you're financially stable to be able to afford the childcare if you're a parent that goes along with it because nursery fees for very young children are absolutely crippling for some families they they really are financially crippling um, so you are in a financially secure enough position to be able to afford the childcare for a start your own physical, mental, emotional health is good enough for you to be well enough to work full time. You are um, able to travel to and from work and afford the commute and, and be able to actually get there. You're not relying on you know, random public transport mm. <laughs> and you have not got any pulls on your time due to caring. Uh, whether that be caring for an elderly relative, you haven't got your own health challenges, you're not supporting a partner who's going through, you know, a, some kind of health challenge. You haven't got any anything pulling on you necessarily um, that, that is meaning that that full-time isn't an option because for a lot of people, full-time isn't an option, although they would dearly love to work full-time, what they've actually got presented with them is full-time or nothing. Mm. And that's, that's when full-time becomes the privilege. And that's when people kind of look at me gone out. And I'm like, no, because actually lots of people want to work and want to contribute, but they can't do that full-time. And if you only offer full-time, then you're privileging those people who are able to work full-time. And what you're doing then is reducing the kind of the lived experience of a broader range of people. You are precluding people from progressing in their careers just because they can't work full time and you kind of have to look at who you're inviting to your table in your organizations you're only inviting those people who are well enough able enough financially stable enough to work full time mm. so actually there's a real diversity conversation to be had around full time and um flexible working opportunities as well and you know in, in you you talking say about an, an environment that maybe doesn't doesn't permit um, flexibility at all. But even in a, an organisation where people who are working flexibly are in the minority, you know, mm -hmm. there's still, you know, there, there's that, there's that, that feeling that people who are working differently are are doing less or are yeah. less engaged or less committed to the organisation. Whereas you say 
a lot of the aspects of their decision around that will will not have been a choice necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, we we touched on it a little bit, um, but you know, I've I've run out of ways of describing kind of pandemic mode. But um, we're <laughs> recording this in early February, and uh, you know. A lot of people are spending more time with their children than they might wish to at the moment. And, you know, we're forced to do things in a, in a, let's say, a flexible way. But it's not really flexible. Um, oh, working. you know what? No, I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to actually sort of say this isn't flexible working. By any stretch of the imagination, flexible working, as I said before, is a bespoke solution that meets the needs of the organisation and the individual. This is responding to work and home in the midst of a global pandemic. What it can do is, as I've said, shine a light on possibility. What people need to understand is this is pretty much like the worst possible setup that could be aligned to a view of, of flexible working. What it has done, though, is literally give school leaders and other people a glimpse Mm. into people's homes they're literally looking into people's bedrooms front rooms you know whatever and they're seeing the small children that they're dealing with you know the crazy dog Mm. that just wrecks everything you know the elderly relative that also lives with them that they're caring for they're literally seeing the balance that their employees are having to deal with every day so and also it's meant that a lot of people who normally would go to work unencumbered by all of all manner of things are suddenly at home juggling in the way that a lot of flexible workers have to juggle as in if it's your um, non-contracted day to work and you suddenly get a phone call but actually you're trying to give the toddler their lunch at the same time you know you're trying to be parent and you're trying to be employee and, and professional people have felt that now at every level pretty much everybody who's having to work from home is now feeling like a flexible worker can feel on their non-contracted days when they're having to to Mm. juggle being doing a job of work with other things as well so I think it's really given a lot of people who couldn't have appreciated necessarily what it's like to walk in those shoes a glimpse into what it's like so again when we're going back into school um when this kind of hopefully gets back to some semblance of what we all recognize as usual and then people will be much more sensitive to things like communication with flexible workers on their non-contracted time um, you know meeting schedules pulls on people's time outside their directed time i think it's given people a lot more compassion and empathy and a view into what their employees are actually dealing with in their lives it's been a it's been a huge I wouldn't say social experiment but it's been a huge almost like a big brother type <laughs> you remember yeah. like viewing what people are actually doing in their lives yeah it's really interesting I was having um another conversation for the podcast about um um it was actually somebody talking about relationships with students and kind of you know pupil premium and these sorts of things and saying actually instead of having a you know class for children with uniform in front of you who yes you appreciate some of them come from disadvantaged backgrounds it's much more tangible when these children don't have what they what they might want or need to do their work from home 
um, and you can see the home that they're, you know, like we, we, we have all gone a lot further into people's lives. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's interesting to think about, will, will some sort of boundaries need to be redrawn for some people? Because as you say, um, people will have responded to things at all kinds of crazy times of days and nights because of the, the mad juggling that they might be doing. Um, or, you know, we, we have our children on our knee while we're on a Zoom call and all these sorts of like, we, do, you, do yeah. you think it will be, um, how would we go about kind of um, reestablishing um, some, some, some boundaries, but equally what kind of creative um, and innov- innovative ideas do you think might, might come out as a result when at such time we can, we can actually take a breath and reflect on some of this? <laughs> I think that one of the great things that has come out of this is professional trust. Um, and the kind of autonomy of teachers to manage their workloads without being micromanaged. Because there's a lot of schools um, that I have worked with and that I know of, and I've talked to lots of people who work, not necessarily, not the schools in my trust, I will point out, (laughs) other schools I have spoken to, um, where they're, they're basically told you've got to be on site from this time and you're not allowed to leave until such a time. And it makes my blood boil because I think these are qualified professionals who have done, if you're talking about your your teaching staff, um, you know, when it tends to be the teachers who are directed in this way, um, you know, you have done an undergraduate degree, you've done a postgraduate qualification, you are trusted with the safety, well-being and education of 30 young, 30 plus young people every day yet you're not trusted to go home and do your marking Mm. and make sure that you turn it in on time. And there's a real infantilization of the teaching profession and then being micromanaged and having their time micromanaged. So I think one real plus side is that people have realized that it doesn't matter when people get stuff done, as long as it's turned in on time, then whether they did it at 11 o'clock at night or whether they did it at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning or whether they did it in normal working hours, Mm. traditional working hours, that's fine. And again, it's like the bespoke approach to to, uh, the contract itself in the first place or the the agreement in the first place. Well-being is a very, very personal decision because everybody's lives are completely different. Now, I know from a lot of people I work with and the networks that I work in, they've all got very small children. I never hear anything from them between four o'clock in the afternoon and about eight o'clock at night, because that is the witching hour for <laughs> small children. So I either hear loads before four o'clock or loads after about half seven, eight o'clock. And I know that's when those people are working because they've dealt with their home commitments and that works for them. So I think it's not so much necessarily about setting boundaries, other than saying, right, we all know when the deadline is for this. Get it done in your get it done in your own time. As long as you turn it in by the deadline, you know, you're an adult, you're a grown adult, you can manage your own time, you can manage your class. Turn it in in good time, that's fine. So I do think people need to be mindful of, you know, um, things like emails, making sure that they, you know, you may compose the email at two o'clock in the morning but maybe not send it at two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Maybe have a little delay, a little time delay on that so it goes out at a more reasonable time. Um, So there's things around that because obviously some people have their phones on all night and if it pings, so it's being, or if you are going to send something out of hours, 
is having in your signature saying, I work flexibly, please do not feel any need to respond until normal, until your normal working hours. So you can set the boundaries gently without having to say, we must all do this now, we must all do that now. But I do think being mindful of what works for you might not work for somebody else. So if you're rattling out emails at one o'clock in the morning because that's just, you're a night owl, somebody might not receive that quite as gleefully as you have set it out. Um, but I think one of the big lessons we've learned is about communication, because very early on in the pandemic, I think what a lot of people realised is that much of the communication that happens in school is incidental and not strategic. You know, it's conversations around the coffee machine or a, a quick head popping. Those people are working flexibly miss out on the incidental conversation. So one of the things that we've learned is that actually with a, when you haven't got incidental communication, it needs to be much more strategic. So making sure that things are done in good time, that plans don't change at the last minute, and that you have got really good, robust communication systems, either like cascaded communication or um, making sure that everybody knows in good time. And the other thing I'd say is be aware of who works flexibly and think about the messages that you're sending. Because you may send out a blanket email that says, can everybody have their data in for Monday morning? You may send that out on a Wednesday, but actually a lot of your flexible workers work Monday to Wednesday. So you're asking them to get it done on their days off before Monday. So it's being mindful again with your communication of deadlines of when you're asking people to do it. Um, and I'm not saying make more work for the school leader, by saying, well, I can't possibly send this out because Linda, it doesn't work on a Thursday. It's actually, I knew I've got to send this out. I need to make sure that I've given adequate time for the deadline, mm. if you know what I mean. And it, yeah, um, as someone who, uh, the, the day that I spend with my daughter, I will never call it a day off, is <laughs> Wednesday. And that catches people out and surprises them. And I think, yeah, there's sort of there's an there's kind of an onus on, on on you sometimes to be, you know, to be clear with people because, like you say, you can't expect people to necessarily remember or know or guess that. But at the same time, if it's always the person having to say, oh, by the way, I don't that doesn't actually work for me, like yeah. that that feels very uncomfortable. Um, so you know, it's it's how how to have. Um, uh, phrase it in a way or communicate it in a way or as you say give give time so that those people um, don't always have to be like feeling like the exceptions yeah and also being not being afraid of a day of the week like nobody would say I'm sorry I can't do that I it's Saturday you know mm -hmm. you know you're not getting paid for that day so it's having the confidence to say I don't work on Wednesdays I can do any other day I don't and, and taking away that sorry I don't work on Wednesdays because for every sorry that we say for working flexibly we're actually what we're actually saying is the default setting of traditional full-time hours is preferred so we kind of need to get rid of the I only work part-time so get rid of the only you make a positive contribution for a smaller number of days in a week. And also the, sorry, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't work full time. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's absolutely bonkers. So we just say, I'm not available on Wednesdays in the yeah. same way you might say, I'm not available on a Sunday or a Saturday, or, you know, depending on where you work in the world, 
whatever day of the week that you know is a non-working day it's it's a it's all those kind of micro bits of language around that as well that if we don't start being proactive about it this will never change exactly so and it's the the sort of values that you're you know portraying and putting on things with the with the language you use and then the other people adopt that and this yeah. this feeds in really nicely to um my idea of role play which is <laughs> sounds sounds more exciting than it what is everybody what are we doing <laughs> um but what I, what I thought it might be interesting is to say for example that i i am somebody who who wants to make a kind of flexible working request have a conversation with a member of SLT about about you know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to go about that. Now that's a, that is a really difficult place for some people to to get to, particularly if they're in a school that doesn't have a strong culture of flexible working. So what would you what would you say to me? To what should I think about if I'm going to have that conversation? Um, practicalities, but also language and, and other things. Okay, so there's loads of places you can go to find um, both the HR type support and the exemplars for um, you know, job sharing or for que interview questions, all sorts of things. There's Flex Teach Talent, there's Maternity CPD, there's Women Ed, um, the Shared Headship Network. There's loads of grassroots organizations out there who've done a lot of the donkey work um, in terms of really curating high quality HR and operational resources and also the case studies to say look this really does work and there was a great um, article in the Charter College's latest uh, episode, not episode <laughs> edition, edition of Impact which was written by Lindsay Patience about flexible working which I happen to have a copy of to hand which is a complete complete chance I just want to I just want to give her a shout out because it's an amazing amazing um, she's put, she's, Lindsay's written about a raw deal for part-time leaders and in there is so much data that she's done through her work with Flex Teach Talent and in that, in that edition of Impact is so much around flexible working, about recruitment, but with all of those sites that I've mentioned so far and the Charter College itself have got so many um, curated case studies, research articles, everything, all the data about flexible working, which if if your person you're going to speak to is a data junkie or an accountability junkie, is to say, look, this is not unusual what I'm requesting. And also you can prepare for your conversation with them through some of the exemplars and the, um, the outlines that those grassroots organizations have already prepared. And obviously every request is going to be different um, because you're going to be presenting what you would ideally like but then a recognition that the organization still needs to have its needs met so in the book I, there's one of my chapters called you can't always get what you want because mm. obviously every chapter is, is a subtitle not a song title not a subtitle every chapter of the book is a song title and the one about being really realistic about you can present what you really want but you might not get that so it's being realistic as well about your request but it would be outlining what your qualities are, what you have to offer to the organisation, not just in terms of your personal qualities, but in terms of retention, efficiencies, um, you know, not having to recruit and induct somebody else into the job, the experience that you have, the knowledge of the organisation that you have. That's very powerful and very, um, it's so 
important, integral to the working of the school to have experienced, knowledgeable people there. Um, and to also, also point out that one thing people forget about flexible working is it is inherently flexible. It's not forever. I've worked completely, I've worked for flexibly for 14 out of my 23 years now. I've never done one year the same. Mm. You know, every single year has been different because with flexible working comes flex. You know, you can flex your days up, you can flex your days down. There is nothing more rigid for an organisation than a completely full-time staff. And if the pandemic's taught us anything, it's about the inherent fragility of our staffing systems, because as soon as one full-time person goes out, there's nobody there to take a penny slack because everybody's already committed full-time. So it's pointing out things like developing flex within the workforce. It's about retaining talent. It's about outlining what you would want, but also your aspirations. You know, I'd like to do this, moving on to this. It's just being really honest as well. And I would say, don't go into it being apologetic. And I used the I used the um, the image of uh, Oliver Twist, you know, when he goes up with his little bowl. And instead of please, sir, can I have some more? Don't go into your flexible working meeting going, please, sir, can I have some less? You know, it's just like it's not this kind of begging scenario. It's actually at this point in time, I can offer these many hours in this capacity hopefully on these days in this format to the organization, how's about it? It's, it's having those conversations, not going cap in hand, but also flagging up all of the positive case studies and outcomes that all of those organizations have curated that all say, and I genuinely, I, I hunt for things that say it doesn't work and I can't find any. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm interested in what you say there about the fact that your your kind of working patterns have 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 changed a lot over that that time. How how do you kind of know when when to change and how to how to change things? What what things are you sort of evaluating and, and looking at? Some of the things were very obvious, like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it every time. Three times. Three times it was the decision was slightly taken out of my hands. Um, but the first time I worked flexibly in education, I was working full time um, and I was working in year six. I was a local authority lead teacher for literacy and for maths. I was um, on the management uh, senior leadership team. I was running the maths um, sort of subject lead in the school. So it was, a, it was a big, responsible job. But I was also renovating a house. I was working within, uh, or wasn't working within, but I was supporting a you know, family business developing. Um, and I thought, I can't do all this. I just, I've got other pulls on my time. So I went to my head teacher and I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like for a period of time to, to work four days a week. You know, I can still offer this, I can still offer this. And I went with a solution as well. I said, look, my management time and my PPA time is already covered by this lady here. I've had a little word with her. She'd be quite happy to do the other day if, for continuity's sake, I went with a potential solution, was also party to the finances within the school being on the leadership team. So I could kind of cost it out and say, there's actually no inherent cost, but there might well be, should you have to recruit somebody in who managed, you know, to cover all of this. And my head teacher was, was innovative enough and forward thinking enough to recognize this probably isn't gonna last forever. This is just like a little period of time that you need to do. 
And so I went down to four days for about 18 months, two years. And then I came back in full time. So that was the first thing when I recognized it, I'd got, I'd got so many pulls on my time. I didn't feel like I was doing a particularly good job. So I needed to reduce the hours. So that was one thing. With my three babies, obviously that was maternity leave. And then I had to establish how much I could afford with childcare, with travel, with um, my husband works away a lot during the week. So he works very unusual hours and works isn't here a lot of the time. So I had to factor that in as well because everyone's like, oh, you must have such a supportive you know, partner who does I'm like, well, he is lovely and he is supportive, but he's not here very often. <laughs> So there's that to factor in as well, which kind of goes into that. That's why flexible working has to be bespoke because it's everybody's individual circumstances. But then in my current role, I work, I'm contracted to work one day a week for the trust. But the way that the trust works is that there'll often be other bodies of work that need doing in the trust that they will say, have you got capacity to pick those up? And I'll say, yes, or no. <laughs> So, and then alongside that, I do the writing, um, you know, stuff with the DFE. I do stuff uh, with organisations such as Women Ed. And so it gives me what I call patchwork flexibility, which is I get to do, oh, I'm co-chair of governors at my children's school. So I get to do loads of other things and all of those things enrich my core job, which means that actually they all benefit each other, like a, like a lovely patchwork. So... Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of feel my way through what works <laughs> for me. And I always go in with, this is what I can offer. Do you want it? <laughs> and, <laughs> kind of it. and I guess the interesting thing with um, teaching as opposed to other professions is that you do have that yearly rhythm. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can compare exam period to exam period or whatever whatever it might be and you have that point in the term where staffing is sorted out yeah. again whereas yeah other organizations just time time continues on you don't have those sort of pause for thought moments necessarily unless you you definitely make sure you do them so um that and i would say that with that idea of rhythm in mind that actually the sooner you have your flexible working conversation the better don't leave it to the to a review point or an appraisal or, you know, go in and have that conversation early because there is so much staffing thinking that school leaders are constantly doing. And there'll be so much information that you as a staff member may not be party to. You know, you may not know that somebody's going to need a period of, of leave for you know, significant ill health, or you may not know there's a maternity coming up, or you may not know that there's, you know, a, a secondment opportunity coming up. Your school leader will know that because everybody in the organisation will be telling them that. So it's about not making assumptions as an employer that these are my only options, you know, and I'll bring it up on a praise day. Go in as soon as you have the thought and say, this is what I want to do. Because the more options you present to your employer, the more likely they are to be able to accommodate whatever your request may be, because they can then align that with everything else that's going on. And they may think, brilliant, you want to go down to two days a week. They want to go down to three days a week, put you two together. That's one full member of staff. You know, I mean, it's obviously not as simple as that because you have to take into account skills, personality, experience, whatever, if you're going to do a job share. But presenting it early gives people thinking time, to, time to innovate, time, time to think creatively. Yeah, and I and I think um, 
it's something that I've heard you um, um, speak about bit before, but it'd be interesting to, because, you know, sometimes people think I, I can't do flexible working because there's already this number of people in the organisation who who are doing it and I'll, they'll say no to me because, you know, we want too many in terms of um, budget or, or things like that. Um, and like how you know there isn't uh, my understanding there's there isn't that you know it, it it it's it can be everything can be flexed yeah. um so how how does a school try and kind of build a culture and 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 systems that that make flexibility more possible and then more people kind of actually t- take up that opportunity it's committing to it first of all and saying you know we really want to promote this here and being really clear why you know, to promote more people um, to be retained, to have a more diverse workforce, to um, encourage innovation and creativity within the organisation, to, you know, there's, there's all manner of reasons why you might champion flex in your schools. But once you've taken that decision that, you know, we really do champion this here, we have some full, you know, we offer full-time staff, full-time with flex or part-time with flex. Um, And it's being really obvious about that from the outset, right from your advertising and recruitment procedures. And Johnny Upley, who wrote the co-forward with Sam Strickland for the book, you know, in his trust, he advertises all of his roles as up to up to full time. So if it's a full time role, he doesn't say this is a full time role. He says up to full time, which it's subtle changes like that that say we really care about getting the best people not the people who can necessarily just work these hours. We want the best people. And it may well be the best people can only offer us two days of their time. But we would take two days of the best people, you know. Yeah, and, um, you know, nobody is excluding themselves from that when they see that advert. And um, it puts me in, in mind of, well, I taught for a year when I left university in an independent school and I was covering part of somebody's maternity leave they Mm. were off for maternity leave for a year and the head of department decided to cover with a retired very experienced teacher whose wife said you could only work three days a week who taught the exam classes and me as someone with zero qualifications but but, you know that was actually how she juggled into replace one person um You and know. that's a great model. That's a brilliant, flexible mentorship mo- mentorship model, because there are lots of people who are wanting to retire, but not necessarily full time. They've got tons of decades worth of skills and experience. What a brilliant way for an entrant to the profession to learn their craft from an experienced job share partner who can share that wealth of knowledge and experience. And it's one of the things that I also champion within leadership as in co-leadership can often be somebody who wants to step, take a step back, maybe towards retirement, who can then mentor in a new leader. And you've got that wonderful um, kind of mix of, you know, the new leader with the experienced, you know, wisdom of, of, the, of the, the leader who's been in the job a while to help develop you know, as one's kind of segueing out and one's kind of segueing in. It's, it's a great, it's such a great model for succession planning and people don't see it. They don't see flex as really um, impactful when you're talking about mentorship 
and succession planning and staff development. It's a hugely, hugely useful tool for, for staff development. But until we move away from that default of, oh, it's just for maternity leaves, you know, it's it's never going to change, it's never going to be viewed like that at all. Um, and and is there anything in 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 terms of um, kind of systems around how I don't know how a school how a school runs or kind of even silly things like kind of duties and and other things that you've that you've kind of picked up around um, you know systems that work better with um, with flex a, a, applied if, if if a school is thinking right um, how do we do this I think that the culture of the school needs to be set and in terms of you need to set the culture right from the top so you need to have an audit of your school about who works flexibly and in what ways um because when claire and i did the co-headship we couldn't have set more of a precedent you know mm. <laughs> um you know the 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 leadership this the most senior leaders in the school worked flexibly that set the tone in terms of systems, again, because everybody's going to work in their own way flexibly, it's very hard to systemize it. What you can do is within your culture is to look at your attitudes to working patterns. So it may well be saying as a school, you know, you can do your PPA offsite. You can have your PPA at home. Um, now, if your PPA falls on a Thursday afternoon um, and actually you want to go to the gym instead or go and do your shopping that's fine because i know that on saturday morning you'll do your work you know it's it's again that professional trust treating people like adults i mean i think, I think teaching is the only job in the whole world where nipping to the shops at lunchtime is a complete impossibility and doing any kind of life admin is <laughs> And that's why teachers half terms are taken up with dentist appointments, taking the car to the garage for the MOT, getting a haircut. And by the time they've done all that, I'm on the plane. So it's, it's about looking at your current systems and thinking, where could the flex come? So can we put the flex around PPA? Can we do it around free periods? So if you've got final period of the day free, are we actually being, are we actually saying to people, you don't need to be here? You know, you, you can go home, you know, you can you can leave the building. We trust you to get the work done. Um, and then offering things like uh, I know lots of schools have done where one morning a week, if a if a, a teacher has a child of primary school age, they are allowed to come in slightly later to take their own child to school. Because Johnny articulates this beautifully when he says, if we're in education, we should care as much about our staff's children and the children in the school down the road as we do the children in our own school. So if, if what we're saying is, oh, yes, we want all parents of the children in our schools in for the Harvest Festival or the Christmas performance, but actually we don't allow our own teachers to go and look at their own children doing their own. It's just madness. So look at what you're asking of your staff look at what your um what your systems are currently saying and actually say are they realistic are they life friendly are they family friendly um and by the same score if you're looking at it and saying okay well you can have um you can come in later once a week because you want to take your child to school is those um members of staff who maybe 
haven't got caring commitments, but maybe are studying, saying, you know, you can come in slightly later and you can use that as a study morning because you're doing a master's or you're doing this or you're doing that, is, is actually looking at sensible solutions within your school and, and dismantling all of those kind of, it's almost like old wives' tales about what we should be doing, isn't it? You, know, <laughs> you have to be here doing this at this time. It's just unpicking those and thinking, would those benefit our staff? Because ultimately, a healthy, happy staff are, are much better teachers. So it's, it's looking at your culture and your ingrained systems rather than thinking, oh, if we implement this new shiny approach to doing something, this will solve it all. It's actually, no, it's what do our staff need? What would benefit them? What can we tweak and offer? And as you say, very much that bespoke approach. And then, mm. it, you know, it might be the one, just the one day a week, you know, it's not every day of the week that yeah. somebody wants to, you know, and, and, and how you, how you compromise and, you know, maybe it's a school saying, well, if it would be best for us, if that was a Tuesday, do you, you know, how is, how is that for you rather yeah. than that person saying, well, it has to be Thursday. Otherwise I don't want anything, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's um, like you say, it's very, very nuanced not, and very much a not, kind of co-creation. Mm -hmm not rigid flexibility i mean and there's great systems as well like i know there is um quite a famous teacher who works four days a week and on the fifth day he does consultancy so he's got a flexible working setup because he does education consultancy there's another um kind of prolific twitter teacher quite well known who when she was teaching was finding her teaching workload juggling with her doctorate work really hard so she went down to nine days in every 10 so she'd do five, a five day week and a four day week and on that other day used to do her doctorate but that's massively beneficial to the school massively beneficial to that teacher but you know it, again it's a bespoke approach not everybody will want to work nine days out of ten but it's that sensible school leadership that says i want to retain my best teachers i want them to feel valued i want them to contribute what can we do so that they can still meet the organisation of uh, meet the needs of our children and our organisation? Because uh, uh, that's something to bear in mind as well. It's not a one way flex. And I talk about this. It's not shouldn't be a tug of war. It shouldn't be that the, the or that the give is only on one side. This, there has to be this kind of dual flex. Um, but it's it's agreeing that and making that work for both the organisation and for the for the employee. And yeah, I think we've we, you know we've 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 talked a lot about the sort of the benefits, um, um, obviously to the to the individual and the benefit to the organisation. Um, but there are sort of other other stakeholders um, who have a view. Obviously, you've got your kind of governors um, and you know uh, parents who, um, particularly at primary, um, might might have some um, concerns. Um, about about people working flexibly and not being the same class teacher all the all the time in this and just just some skeptics out there in in the, in the sector in general who who might just think it's not it's not really as possible as it is in some other places. Um, what what do those people need to hear right now? <laughs> Get with it. The first thing they need to hear is there are a hell of a lot of children who live in our in our country in homes with more than one adult in the house. And that functions perfectly well. You know, we don't say to a family where there are two capable, competent adults who are parenting that child or caring for that child. We don't say, 
what would be much better is if one of you left <laughs> you know and that that is the nonsense of saying that job sharing or flexible working doesn't work in a classroom and if you go back to a preschool or a nursery setting there are often multiple key workers caring for those children in those settings nothing magical happens on the first day when they step into a school site that where all of a sudden they need one person doing the delivery just as at home you know when you live in a two adult household you don't think you must not have anything to do with the children because I've got to have one person doing it all. It's just, it's a complete nonsense and it's an ingrained behaviour. Now, yes, there's, there's issues around communication and consistency and delivery, but they are, they are so small in terms of how to get round those. They're so quick and easy to get round that actually the nonsense of saying, you know, I would much rather have one person doing this than two amazing people. And if you asked any, if you asked any parent, right, this full-time person, they might be amazing. They might not. What I do have, what I guarantee you, is two amazing teachers. Which setup would you like? Yeah. <laughs> Most parents would go, I'll go for the two absolute bankers there, please. If you, if you, they're absolutely brilliant. And a lot of classrooms anyway have more than one adult in them. They will have a teacher and a teaching assistant, or they will have um, a teacher and support staff, nursery nurses, nursery workers. You know, children are used to being around and interacting with more than one person. Um, so that's a, that's a bit of a myth about having one person in charge. And the other thing is that when we look at those statistics again, a lot of people work in flexible working setups already. Claire and I steeled ourselves from multiple complaints from the parents about co-headship. And I mean, back then, back to 2009-10, nobody even heard of it. Um, and we were doing it and we were like, ready, right? we're ready. We're ready with all the counter arguments. And we got the grand total of none. No, nobody even queried it they were just like oh okay you're both in charge what the only problem we had and it wasn't even a problem it was a, it was a lovely problem to have was that our staff were so keen to, to make sure they that we were both fully informed about everything they were doubling their workload because they were making sure that they told me and they told claire and actually it was like if you've told one of us it's fine you know <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to submit everything twice so as soon as we'd said, you know, if it's key stage two, go to Emma. If it's key stage one or foundation, go to Claire. If it's teaching and learning, go to Emma. If it's governor's finance or behavior, you know, go to Claire, go to Claire. It was so straightforward. There, um, I mean, I don't think necessarily until the children who have been through school with lots of shared setups become adults, I don't think that narrative is going to change very much. But the, the first cohort that we taught that when we were co-heads, they'll be what, early 20s now. So if you think the majority of the adult population at the moment has been through a one school, one leader system, that's gonna take a while to filter through. So a lot of it is based on our own experience of school. But actually, if you, if you ask them, well, it's no different from like when you're in hospital and you have a shift change with nursing or you know shift change with doctors uh, and as soon as you point it out people go oh oh god yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really obvious it's, it's just because it's been so ingrained 
there's actually no research to say there's a detrimental effect on pupils so you know and and what if i was a grumpy governor and you're bringing you're bringing this to my um governing body attention and asking me to sign off on it and i'm skeptical yeah. I would uh, I would get all of those case studies and all of that data from all of those grassroots organisations and the Charter College and you know the Department for Education and I would say look the Department for Education is pushing this as well you know they've got a whole flexible working ambassador schools program that they're rolling out whole flexible working leadership webinar series that they're pushing out you know you you really are kind of going against the grain by saying this isn't going to work when everybody else and all the research research out there says it is working and it's going to carry on working and so you can throw those case studies and, and facts and figures out there um, but also throw things around you know if you advertise working flexibly in your adverts you get 70 74 percent more interest in your in your posts so you know you're going to attract more and potentially you know yeah, a much broader range of people pool from which to choose to meet the needs of your organization so it would be around having the accountability conversation which says there's no accountability measure which says it hasn't worked anywhere mm -hmm. in fact the Ofsted reports that Claire and I got it actually says the co-headship is the strength of the school you know it's 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 out there in Ofsted reports mm -hmm. it's out there in research so there's plenty to anecdotally regale them with but also if they want to read the stats the figures the case studies there's that there as well and we will of course um link to those in the notes for these podcasts and i mean you can play them this podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's that turn of woman banging on again <laughs> make it stop make it stop <laughs> i'll sign i'll sign anything i'll just shove my hand yeah, just um, make it stop talking please <laughs> Um, but joking apart, is is finance an issue? Yeah. Um, potentially it can be, but you need to look a little bit more long term in terms of finance. I mean, when Claire and I first set up the headship, we had six days of headship between us, but we didn't have deputies and we didn't have assistant heads. So, again, it's looking at will this incur a cost, but actually Will it make a saving elsewhere as well? You know, there are so many models that you can explore in terms of days that people work to cover things that if, you, if you're locked into a traditional model, then yes. I mean, I was talking to a group of head teachers the other day about flexible working and one of them got back to me and said, you know what, you totally, completely changed the way that I thought about this because I was going to cover um, a period of leave that somebody was having with this now I've thought of it in a completely different way it's actually going to be much better for the children much better for me it's going to save me some money doing it this way as well it's stopping thinking that there's only a certain number of historical solutions and financially as well it's factoring in the cost of induction advertising and recruitment because if you lose that person because you can't accommodate potentially couple of years of flexible working it's thinking what will actually be the the, the on cost of um, advertising recruiting into the role mentoring establishing them as part of the staff body getting them up to speed with everything that they need to know how much is that worth you know it's, it's asking those kind of less directly measurable costs as well because it may be 
a short term hit, but actually long term, you end up saving the money because you retain that person in the school. And what I, you know, I love lots of things about your books. And one of the things that I find really useful in Let's Talk About Flex is the fact that you you have these kind of questions and things to consider at the at the end of the, the chapter that really kind of summarise these things. And I think, you know, as you say, it's it's breaking out of this idea of a rigid um, solution and, and, and seeing that there are any, any number of ways to cut yeah. this. And it might be about bringing more people and more things into this flexible equation. But if you continue to see it as, no, 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 there was a full-time job here and now this person only wants to do a part of it, you're, you're not going to see those you're not going to see those solutions in quite the same way I, I call it a, a, since I wrote the book I've started talking about the Harry Potter sorting hat um, and actually when we're looking at staffing and in, in the structure of staffing in a school there are far too many people who look at it through a Harry Potter sorting hat like you sit the staff member there and like right you're going to go down the leadership and management route you're wearing that hat or you're going down the Senko route so you're going down the mentoring you know it's it's or you're going down the behavior and pastoral route you know and um, we've got to stop putting people under that harry potter sorting hat and actually start looking at um what work needs doing in the school what skills and expertise have we got on the staff how do our staff want to work what can we match up and are there any new roles, you know, that, that aren't necessarily called assistant head, deputy head, saying co-class teacher? You know, can we create roles to match what we actually need? Because there's nowhere that says you must have X, Y, Z roles. Mm. You know, <laughs> you, you can create what you want. As long as you've got qualified people standing in front of the children, you can call them what you like. You know, <laughs> my job title's completely unique you know it i could have been called assistant head or head of this and i'm not i, I know what i've got responsibility for it's a leadership responsibility across the trust but it's not a traditional one and it's that you know that's what we need to do with um with our wider roles in school is to start to think what needs doing who can do it how do we want it to look and exactly and then and then people seeing seeing those roles and thinking hey maybe when I've done a period of of class teaching I want to go off and explore this and do a bit of that and a bit of something you know and 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 seeing these kind of tapestries and you know we're all going to be working for a depressingly long time <laughs> and, and this is the other thing that I talk about with flexible working is that I actually hate the term the term flexible working can't stand it because what we're really saying is we're saying work is the most important thing I prefer flexible living because the nonsense of somebody coming into the profession at sort of early 20s and having to have the same working pattern as they progress all the way through their life till they retire, which I think retirement age now is about 93 for a teacher. You know, having to have that same working pattern is an utter nonsense as they, you know, traverse through every kind of, meandering pattern or you know life catastrophe that could befall them to say we can only offer you this is is a complete nonsense and then we wonder why people don't stay in the profession mm, yeah. so it's responding to people's or offering the the chance to respond to people's lives whether that be extra study be it caring be it health whatever it is 
whether it's whether they are actually having that reactive decision you know oh my goodness me I've now got a health challenge that means I need to take a bit of a step back or whether they're saying I really want to pursue a patchwork career I want to work three days a week in a classroom and then two days a week I want to do education consultancy or I want to do studying or I want to do broadcasting whatever it is you know it's it's offering that broader range of opportunities for people to live well to have a, a decent life basically and and bring those skills back into your organization yeah. as well yeah um i ha- I, I feel like we've we've covered a, a lot of the things that um was going to draw out in the questions um do you do you have a, a wish for something you'd like to change in the education sector when all this crazy madness is over Oh, I always want to change stuff, Caroline. <laughs> I'm getting that about you. I'm getting that. I never thought of myself as a rebel, but apparently, oh, I am. <laughs> but what I think race name calls them positive disruptors. Positive disruptors. Um, I would re- I would dearly love um, for that full-time default to just go. And, you know, I, I would love that to be in my kind of room 101, that people are apologising for working flexibly, that organisations have, or some organisations have, this full-time default, as in that's the best way of working, that's only what we offer, this is what we should be aiming for. So I would dearly love, my, my wish would be, remove the full-time default and open up that innovative approach to, to um, education and working with education because I think there's so many more people that could bring their skill their knowledge their expertise to share with our children which is ultimately what we're all in it for we're all in it to put the best people in front of our you know our our young learners and I think unless we innovate within the profession we're only going to have what we've always had you know we've got to kind of throw the doors open and say right come on come on what can we offer who you know let, let's put these fantastic people in front of our children by creating roles that weren't necessarily there before with the caveat that of course they are incredibly talented and and qualified you know <laughs> so pulling in some random person off the street going oh you look you look interesting you want to go to my classroom but no really qualified highly qualified skilled people who have something to offer um, but don't necessarily want to work in the ways that we can currently offer would be my dream. Well, I, I, I think we'll see that day and I, <laughs> I hope it will be soon. And you, you're a hero to me in, in so many ways, Emma Turner. Um, <laughs> and as I say, I, lo- I love your writing and your, uh, your good humoured notes on, on parenting are very inspiring. But I felt like I had to ask, what what is it like <laughs> as someone with so much expertise in education to have your three children um at home with you at the minute it's a bit of a rude awakening to be honest <laughs> sometimes literally very early in the morning from one of them like oh there you are um but no it's i genuinely thought that like martin mccutcheon this is my moment <laughs> you know i'm going to be the wonder parent, the wonder teacher, and it was a very rude awakening that there is a very different line between uh, the relationship between teacher and student and mummy and child. 
So it's been a real learning curve for us. It's it's shone a light for me on a lot of the stuff that we do in education that's actually a bit rubbish <laughs> sometimes. Um, but also it's made me realise that education is full of absolute diamonds. I've just seen the most amazing people throughout lockdown. Um, and the, the work that my children's teachers are doing that I see every day on the screen that they're doing, I'm just... I'm so grateful to, to all the work that everybody's putting in. It's just amazing. But it is so hard trying to work at home with three small children around your feet. It is like, like I said, the flexible working nightmare. <laughs> you're basically doing all of it all at once. You're doing the working and you're doing the parenting. There's not this lovely seamless blend between, oh, now I've got my mummy hat on and now I've got my parent, you know, my teacher hat on. I've basically got like a, a crooked mortarboard and a <laughs> jam all down my face. And, you know, it's, uh, it's difficult, but I have realised that things, there's plenty more disruption that could happen in education about the way that we teach children, about the way that we structure a day, the way that children learn best. So it's, it's thrown up all sorts of questions in my mind about what we do and how we do it but um huge thank you to all my colleagues who are, <laughs> who are the other side of the screen yeah <laughs> and i must admit when it's my turn to deliver my stuff through my screen i'm like oh my god <laughs> well it must you know it's always a bit intimidating to have the the teacher parent at parents evening it must be they must be a little bit wary knowing that you're somewhere lurking in the background <laughs> well um, as i said i'm co-chair of governors at the school as well so crumbs no pressure no pressure well, it's funny she said actually i was my youngest son was um doing something with weight yesterday uh on like, this online lesson with weight and he had to weigh things and then put them in a line of how uh, lightest to heaviest and i've got these like very fancy lemonade cans with this passion fruit lemonade and he found an empty one and he was weighing it and he put it in the lineup and we took a photograph of it and submitted it and i suddenly thought that looks like a can of gin. <laughs> so I, had to, I had to message his teacher <laughs> on his like seesaw thing and say, yes, I've worked very hard with him this morning. Um, uh, that is not gin. It is, <laughs> it is passion fruit lemonade. <laughs> I can't have the school thinking that their co-chair governors is there at 10 o'clock in the morning swigging gin whilst... <laughs> I was like, and I actually put things are not that bad brackets yet. <laughs> yeah. Gin's for the afternoon. Uh... <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I can't like that both ways. I can't be seen to be the chair. <laughs> I even took a photograph of the can and sent it back. <laughs> oh, funny. Wow. Yeah, so it, it's not easy. Let's put it like that. It's it's not easy, and I am very much looking forward to a return to a more usual way of schooling the three of them <laughs> exactly so well i knew this would be an absolute treat thank you so much emma for talking to us today and thank you very much for listening key voices is produced by the key giving education leaders the knowledge to act members of the key for school leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at the and please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at keysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.